Welcome to Question Period. I'm Evan Solomon. Today on the program, E-Day Countdown. The cost of inaction is forest fires and flooding and heat waves that mean Canadians lose their lives. We have not missed any of our targets. We are on track to exceeding our targets. Did the leaders' debates change the course of the campaign? With just a week left, what can you expect to see? Will parties go negative? Rana Ambrose, Tom Mulcair and Supriya Devetti join us on that. And then, pandemic plans? We're continuing in our supports for small businesses, for workers, for families, for people who want to work. We want to focus on work and get our budget back to balance over the course of the next decade. So for all the things that people need, for the crises they're going through, we are the solution to make life better. Pandemic promises are the key to the campaign, but are the plans really what they appear to be? What will actually bring back jobs and spark the economy? Candidates are here to debate that, plus cost controversy. The Conservatives finally released the price tag of their promises, but their $60 billion health care pledge amounts to less than $4 billion in the first five years. What could that mean for the health care system? Conservative candidate Michelle Rumpel-Garner joins us on that. And then, the finish line. With advanced polls now open, which party is ahead going into these last critical days? Can the NDP hold their vote? Will the PPC play spoiler for Mr. O'Toole? Pollster Nick Nanos will be with us with a look at where the leaders stand right now. This is Question Period. Let's go get some answers. And here we are, the closing eight days of this campaign. Advanced polls, of course, already open. Right now, the outcome will be decided by a number of factors. The undecided voters, where will they break? The vote splits. We'll say the Liberal and NDP vote split the progressive vote and allow the Conservatives to run up the middle. And will the People's Party end up siphoning off key Conservative votes? Well, the leaders' debates are done, and the question now remains, did that change the course of the race? And will there be any last-minute surprises on the trail? What could yank this race down the stretch? Let's find out. Joining me now, former interim Conservative leader Rana Ambrose, former NDP leader and CTV political commentator Tom Mulcair, and former Liberal strategist Supriya Devetti. Well, awesome to have the three of you here. We are close. Tom, uh, let's, let's go. Impact of debates going forward. Uh, did the, were they game changers? Well, Wednesday night's French debate was won in English Canada by Mr. Trudeau when he wailed away on Yves-Francois Blanchette. Put that in a win column for him. Overall, the debate itself was a bit of a push. On Thursday, it got a little bit raucous. The opening question has made news for 48 hours now in Quebec. And I'll give you an example. A very senior columnist named Richard Martineau, who for the whole campaign has been saying, look, let's stop wasting our vote on the block. Let's give the Conservatives a good look this time around. As of today, he's saying, well, forget about that. Quebec was insulted in that debate, and now we should all vote Le Québécois. So it's it's playing out. Rana, final week, what needs to happen now for the parties? Well, I think Erin O'Toole continues to have momentum. And, and look, we, we say this all the time, that opposition parties don't win, governments lose. And we saw that play out in the English debate, where when you're the incumbent and you're the person that's been governing, you've had to compromise, you've had to make tough decisions, everybody's attacking you. So Trudeau was definitely on the defensive. The format didn't help that. But Aaron was able to sort of sit back and skate through, and that's to his advantage. And I think he's skated through all the debates so far. Momentum is good for him. He's running a really tightly controlled campaign, a positive campaign. And uh, Trudeau continues to look rattled. I'm surprised that things haven't come into focus more, like childcare, because there is a, a 
differentiation between the two parties on that policy. That could be something that could be debated, but it still hasn't come to the fore. So, you know, we're in the final stretch. I think the Jody Wilson-Raybould's book that's out is pr pretty damaging. I think more people will read that than saw the debate. And, you know, some of the zingers in, in that article where she said things like, you can't spin dishonesty. I mean, it's tough stuff. Uh, It'll okay. be interesting to see what happens in the next week. Yeah, just to remind people, she's got a new book coming out, and, and there was an excerpt in The Globe uh, this weekend. Sapria, uh, how do you see the debates? Has, has any leader managed to frame what people are talking about in a ballot box question? Had, did anything crystallize after those two debates? No, honestly, I, I don't think so. I mean, I agree with what both my colleagues have said here with respect to, you know, I think Mr. O'Toole did quite well. And I agree with Rana that I don't think the format necessarily helped the, the prime minister. He was definitely, you know, on the defensive. And it certainly didn't help that everyone on that stage was sort of going after him. And there wasn't a ton of ability or, or room for him to, you know, take Aaron O'Toole on 101 with some uh, d debate tactics or what have you, or even just to, you know, defend himself against some of the accusations that were lobbed against him. But I think going into the final stretch, um, it really just comes down to being able to identify your own vote and, and, and ground game and making sure that the folks yeah. that, are, that are going to vote for you actually do indeed vote for you, right? And get up off that couch and show up to their polling station. You had mentioned right off the top that advanced polling is already is already going, and I think um, you've already seen quite a bit of push from the you know at least the three major parties out there to to try and get some of their already identified voters to the polls. But it really is anybody's game. Yeah, absolutely. The the last wild week, there are tons of wild cards in the deck. Oh, I don't know if this is a wild card, Tom, but the NDP released their costing last night: two hundred and fourteen billion dollars. Let me just rephrase wow. that: two hundred and fourteen billion dollars of new spending in five years, triple the amount both uh -oh. the Liberals and the Conservatives are promising. No plan to balance the budget, so that's their platform. Um, Tom, they did it on a Saturday night after the debates. What does that tell you? Well, they didn't really want people to pay a lot of attention to it, and bringing it out over the weekend, at least that means that we'll get a chance to talk about it today, but it won't be the object of much discussion. It does lower a notch the credibility of Mr. Singh, who's been doing so well, and his credibility is actually one of his greatest assets. So I find it a bit surprising, because those numbers, of course, are completely out of whack, and they can say that they're going to tax the bejesus out of billionaires until the cows come home, but you know what? There aren't enough billionaires to pay that bill. So at some point, it's got to be a reality check. I think that what they're clearly doing is auditioning for a role with the balance of power. Uh, any pretense of hoping to form a government with numbers like that, of course, has gone completely by the wayside. All right. Uh, okay. Uh, Rana, each leader... I mean, at this point, they're each sort of thematically facing these challenges. You know, Mr. Trudeau, the trust question, why did you call this election? For Mr. O'Toole, the vagueness question, can he talk straight about issues on guns or private health care? For Mr. Singh, as Tom just outlined, practicality, can you really spend all that money and keep Canada competitive? Is it too late to deal with those issues now in the final days of the campaign? Like, how do they make a closing argument? I don't think it's too late because most people start to pay attention right now and they're starting to go to the ballot box. They'll start to read a few articles here and there. That's why the Jody Wilson-Rainbow issue could be damaging. And the People's Party could be damaging to the conservative movement. So I do think it matters the last week. People will pay attention. They'll start watching the news a little bit closer, paying attention to leaders. Do, do they like what they see? Do they trust what they see? And a lot of times it really gets down to just the feeling someone has. If they feel someone is likable and trustworthy. 
So there's definitely uh, an opportunity here in the next week. Supriya, the, you mentioned, you know, the ground game, you know, political folks called Go TV to get out the vote. Mm -hmm. Does it come down now to battlegrounds like the greater Toronto area, Vancouver, the lower mainland? Like if you're the Liberals and the Conservatives and the, N and the NDP, is it just, okay, what are the battleground areas, we, the must-win places? What are you watching for? Yeah, I mean, it'd be very. I'd be very curious to see where leaders are spending a lot of their time, right, um, in the final week. And I, I would have to agree. I think the GTA is an obvious spot. I think some of the seats where the Liberals were at least hoping to pick up, like in and around Edmonton, will be interesting to see because there are a couple of seats there that I think they expect that will at least be competitive, or you know, they 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 would hope to to pick up. Um, and then Quebec, of course, is is everybody's sort of watching it, particularly after the uh, last, you know, well, the only English debate um, with respect to build the Bill 21 question and how that's going to play out there and whether or not you're going to see yeah. the block sort of pull ahead. And of course, in this past week, we saw uh, Premier Legault um, give a sort of half-hearted endorsement to the to the Conservatives by saying he would prefer a Conservative minority government. Um, I'm sure the Premier is well aware that you can't actually put an X beside somebody's name and then in brackets put minority. But you know, it'll be interesting to see how some of those numbers shake up in, in, in Quebec as well in the final week. And really, I, I'm, I'm really, to, to, to Rana's point, I, I agree in terms of people really just tuning in uh, more, you know, attentively or, or thoughtfully now. And that's why I think some of the stuff that, you know, is still sort of lingering um, in terms of uh, guns, you know, healthcare, I would say also reproductive rights access or abortion access for, for conservatives, like all of the things that are generally these huge canards for conservatives that Mr. O'Toole and his team have been very good at shutting down thus far. You know, it'll be interesting to see if they're able to, you know, really keep that going in that last week. Uh, Rana, Tom, and Supriya, man. Okay, uh, get some sleep or whatever you do in the last part <laughs> of the campaign, or no sleep, just a power bar. Thanks so much to the three of you. Appreciate it. Coming up, pandemic promises. They are big. They are expensive. Will they actually work to create jobs? Candidates join us next to debate that. Stay right here with Question Period. This federal election is different from others as the country continues to recover from one of the worst health crises in a generation. Each party leader has presented their version of how Canada can move forward, the pandemic recovery plan. No matter who wins, the government spending taps will be pouring out tens of billions of dollars. Liberal leader Justin Trudeau promising things like new universal child care program and an emphasis on the green economy. Conservative leader Aaron O'Toole says his party will increase health funding to the provinces and boost the Canada workers' benefit. NDP leader Jagmeet Singh promises new investments for pharmacare and dental care. How would each party, though, make good on its promise to create one million jobs and pay for all these programs? To debate that, we're joined now by Liberal candidate Sean Fraser, Conservative candidate Michael Barrett, NDP candidate Heather McPherson. Uh, thanks for taking time off the trail, all three of you. I know this is an incredibly busy time. And l let me start with you, uh, Mr. Fraser. Uh, and I asked this question to Mr. Trudeau at the debate that and I'm just trying to get an answer here. Your party tabled this $101 billion budget in April. Uh, now, in your new platform, just four months later, you got $78 billion of new spending. And sometimes people wonder, why didn't you include that in the last budget? Um, how do people know that, that every couple months the Liberals aren't just going to keep spending? And, and there must be, you know, kids are asking, how are we going to pay for all these promises? Uh, look, that's a really good question. And just to, to start with answering it directly, the reason that we've been able to find more room to continue to make investments that are going to improve the quality of life for people here is because the facts on the ground have changed. 
The parliamentary budget officer's uh, more recent report showed stronger than expected growth when the budget was put together. So the debt to GDP ratio is going to be roughly the same as was projected in the budget with this new spending because we saw that additional growth. But on the question of how are we going to pay this back, I think you've got to remember that it was far, far less expensive to make the investments to save jobs and protect the economy than it would have been to let households and businesses fail. Let me just swing over to Mr. Barrett. I know Mr. Fraser said there's been growth. Uh, the truth is StatsCan in the last quarter said the economy dropped 1.1% annualized growth. And inflation is up. There's arguments whether it's permanent or not permanent. Uh, but Mr. Barrett, the conservatives are dealing with that. You've announced this Canada job search plan that would pay up to 50% of salaries for new hires for six months. The truth is it's almost identical to the Liberals' recovery hiring program. Um, just on that, like, what's the difference there? Well, when you look at uh, our plan, we, uh, we intend to wind down the pandemic recovery measures and introduce some measures that are, that are going to create jobs and going to incentivize people getting back to work like increases to the Canada workers benefit, which nearly doubling that up to $5,000 for families. So when you look at uh, the, the job search plan that is going to uh, offer that subsidy to employers up to 50% for people who've been out of work for longer periods of time, uh, we're going to increase the Canada workers benefit. And we're also gonna make serious investments that's gonna put money directly into people's pockets with respect to childcare. Um, we, we have a very different plan. It's flexible for families. And, uh, and it's not right. forever and away spending that we're currently seeing with the Liberals. Right. You know that the ch we can debate child care, and, and we can in a minute. That child care plan doesn't A, create spaces. I know it gives money, but it wouldn't cut, cover nearly the cost of child care in places like Vancouver or Toronto. Uh, Ms. McPherson, though, and let, we can come back to this, but I just want to bring in the NDP. Again, very expensive programs in your uni universal dental care, taxi, and, and there's a tax program. Um, late Saturday, the costing of the plan was finally released, not in time for anyone to really make sense of it. Can you just tell people specifically anything in your plan that increases competitiveness and actually will create jobs in Canada in the NDP plan? Yeah, well, thanks. That's a great question. But, but Evan, I think one of the things to keep in mind, too, before we even get into recovering is the fact that we are still in a global health pandemic. You know, you, you, you don't beat COVID-19. You don't win the race if you stop the supports for small businesses, if you stop the supports for the wage subsidy before we get over that finish line. So for, for New Democrats, we're going to make sure that those small businesses that our economy depends on, that those workers that our economy depends on, are still supported until we actually get through this pandemic. But you know, how do you create the You've jobs? seen in my no. province the, the fact that they keep thinking that we're through the pandemic has put us in this absolute devastating situation we're in right now. You, there's, there's so many ways that we need to be able to create these jobs. We need to be investing in, you know, in Alberta, we need to be investing in a jobs plan that will get the oil and gas workers that have not been able to find work back to work. I mean, that's, that's job number one. Uh, that's job number one for me. It should be for everyone in this country, certainly every member right. of parliament in Alberta. Um, but, but the things that are going to be in place for that you got to put childcare in. You know, the Royal Bank, the Chambers of Commerce, these guys have said the best thing we can do for our economy is get childcare. Um, the Liberals have promised it forever and, in fact, are now using it again. They, they've been in power six years. They've had our support for six years. They could have done this. And I'll pick up what Mr. Barrett said. He said the Conservatives will roll back some of these programs. The truth is, 
there's a lot of industries in hospitality and restaurants that are experiencing a labor shortage. Can you tell us when these support programs will be rolled back, what will stay and what will go in the next year, Mr. Fraser? Uh, sure, and look, there's different answers for different sectors. Uh, of course, we've made extensions to uh, programs like the Canada Emergency Wage Subsidy. Uh, we've got new programs coming on like the Canada Recovery Hiring Incentive for businesses that are actually adding to their payroll compared to this spring. But when you look at some of the hardest hit businesses, this was actually the very first campaign announcement that the Prime Minister made. We're extending for the tourism sector, for example, the wage subsidy up to 75% until the next tourism season begins because we know that they earn all of the revenue during a, a very particular time of year and we don't want to see them close at the end of this uh, tourist season. For the arts and culture sector, we've taken a unique approach by saying we're actually going to match the revenue that comes in because we know they're trying to operate at a reduced capacity and the economics won't work. So depending on which sector you're talking about, we've now got tailor-made solutions that are going to actually help those sectors rebound. But to your point, uh, when I'm knocking on doors or speaking to local businesses, right now it's the first time since I've been a member of parliament that people aren't uh, egging me on to say we need to create more jobs. We need to get more workers here. Investing in universal child care is actually going to open up opportunities for parents. Let, let me move to Mr. Barrett. Uh, you said you're going to roll back some of those programs, so I'll just ask you the same questions. What programs will roll back and what will remain permanent in, in the next year? Can you, can you be specific? Well, uh, I'm going to have to touch on child care uh, as part of my answer because it's, it's twice been mentioned. And, and I think that the flexibility that we're offering with our program is incredibly important. But with respect to creating, uh, you know, to getting more people into the workforce, I think our efforts with respect to the Canada Workers Benefit and the Disability Supplement, that's going to put more money into people's pockets uh, on, a, on a, a regular basis is, is going to do more to incentivize and to reward people for, for being at work. And, and with respect to child care, payments under our plan, um, that's going to happen on a monthly basis. This is money going directly to people. And the cookie cutter approach for childcare of having, you know, nine to five spaces uh, is not going to be in place, uh, certainly across all of the country in the next five years. We're talking about helping parents right now. Uh, Ms. McPherson, I'll just throw the same question to you because I know you're shaking your head and you want to respond. Go ahead. I'm just, I'm just saying, we, we know that the Conservative plan for childcare won't work. You know, we, we, we've talked to advocates, we've talked to specialists, we've talked to parents. Um, it, it disproportionately impacts low-income families. It, it makes it harder for women to go back to work. It makes it harder for single, single mothers to, to get back into the workforce. We've lost 100,000 women uh, from our workforce in Canada. We need to get them back to work. I'm a woman. I'm a, I'm a mother. Um, child care was one of the most expensive things that was was part of our household income. Um, you know, we know the Conservative plan won't work. And frankly, I, I don't have the confidence that the Liberals are actually going to follow through with their plan because they've campaigned on this before. Why would Canadians believe that this time's any different? All right, I got to leave it there. Um, gosh, I kind of wish you three were in the leaders debate. We got some uh, good, <laughs> good debate there and some good substance. Uh, Mr. Fraser, Mr. Barrett, Ms. McPherson, good luck to all three of you. I really appreciate you taking the time. Take good care. Thank Thanks you so much. Thanks. When we come back, questions over costing. The Conservatives pledge $60 billion in health care, but less than $4 billion will actually flow in the first five years. How could that impact health care services? Conservative candidate Michelle Rumpel-Garner joins us as part of our party one-on-one -on -one series. Stay right here with Question Period. Yeah. 
So last night, the NDP released their full costing of their platform, a platform that includes $214 billion of new spending over five years. That is nearly triple both the Liberal and the Conservative promises. But those numbers came after the leaders' debate, so other leaders couldn't scrutinize them. You can make of that strategy what you want. But not so with the Conservatives, who released their costing last week. And at the center of their plan was a big promise. $60 billion over 10 years without conditions towards the Canada Health Transfer. But there's a catch, and it's a big one. The independent parliamentary budget officer concluded that only $3.6 billion of that money would actually be transferred in the first five years. The rest would come in the latter half of the decade after another federal election. So what would that mean for the promises who have been asking for billions or more in health care funding now? We continue our series of one-on-one -on -one interviews with each of the parties. We did ask Mr. O'Toole to join us. He was unavailable, but we're delighted that Conservative candidate Michelle Rempel-Garner joins us. Uh, great to have you back on the program. Uh, Thanks. Let, let's talk about this health care promise, which is sure. obviously a, a big central issue. Why in a promise that $60 billion in health care transfer is so huge, but the, most of the money will not flow for five years. If it's so important now, why backload it till after the next election? Well, a few things. So first of all, what we've been hearing from the provinces, and this is pre-election, is that provinces want stable and predictable long-term funding. So we've done that with our mechanism. And I think it's worth noting that we've committed to a minimum 6% per year increase in the, going forward in the future. So what that means is there's a compounding effect, but more importantly, in consultation with the provinces, this is going to allow them to make long-term plans. Like a hospital is not going to get built overnight. It takes years to put plans for that together. So does long-term projections for workforce, doctors, nurses. What we're doing is providing a system by which the provinces can make those long-term investments and really sort of depoliticize the process for transfer payments. The $60 billion, Michelle Rempel-Garner, will be given without conditions. And Mr. O'Toole has expressed support for private public synergies, as you know, in healthcare, it's been a big issue. Can you be specific? Um, what kinds of private healthcare initiatives does he support? For example, would he support more MRI clinics in provinces? Like, what is he talking about specifically? Well, well two points that I believe our party leader has been absolutely clear on. First of all, we are 100% committed to ensuring a strong uh, publicly funded healthcare system because we know it's something that all Canadians rely upon as well as it's one of our big factors to you know, promoting social inclusion. But the second thing that our leader has been absolutely clear upon is the right of the provinces to deliver healthcare within their jurisdictional responsibilities. And I think that the plan that we've got uh, it, that we're putting forward to Canadians respects those two points and will strengthen our health care system. I just want to try to be specific here. He said he supports private public synergies. What kinds, what are we talking about here? What would we see more of under an O'Toole government? Well, what you would see more of is predictable long-term transfer payments to the provinces to allow them to deliver services within their jurisdiction and within their jurisdictional independence. Um, that is that is the role of the federal government. I think where what, where we differ from other parties is that we've listened to the provinces on both of those points, uh, and we've enshrined it in our uh, in our platform. I think what that means for somebody who's watching this today is that they can look to their provincial government and understand that the, our federal government, should we form government, hopefully, 
that they were an active partner with them in the, you know, supporting the delivery of health care. Right. To, to be fair, part of the role of the federal government in health care is to enforce the Canada Health Act, and which, which protects universality. So let me just ask you, in the money that you're promising to pledge without conditions, if a province then decides we are going to allow more private health care, um, would a, an O'Toole government hold back some of that money in order to protect the Canada Health Act. That's one way the federal government does and can do it. Would no tool government do that? Our leader has been very clear that we are committed to a strong public, publicly funded universal health care system and that we would continue to provide funding to the provinces in a stable, predictable, long-term manner. And I really hope that we can talk about how our plan also will pr provide economic growth and jobs post-pandemic uh, for a healthy population. Okay, la last question. As you know, the, the debate about mandatory vaccines and vaccine passport has been a big issue. And I want to put mm -hmm. something to rest here because I know Mr. O'Toole's position has been, I support vaccines, and I know you've been on this program saying the same thing, but the Conservatives will not force every one of their candidates to be vaccinated. And now, over the weekend, you have a candidate in Peterborough, Kawartha, Michelle Ferreri, who has been going into long-term care homes and seniors' residents, and she only she's not fully vaccinated. I, I guess she says she's been tested. But how does the Conservative Party justify having a team where your candidates are going unfully vaccinated into long-term care homes? Like, isn't that a dangerous? I mean, from your you're the former health critic, is that something that the party can stand behind putting unvaccinated? unfully vaccinated people campaigning inside a long-term I encourage, I encourage anyone who's watching this who might not be vaccinated to get vaccinated. I am fully vaccinated. It's the best way to protect yourself and others from COVID-19. I also encourage all people to follow local public health guidelines as we've all been doing for the last 18 months. I think it was an unwise move that Mr. Trudeau campaigned in a hospital this week. I'm really glad you asked about vaccines. I think Talking to people throughout the course of this election, I am worried that the way that the Liberals have approached the conversation about vaccines, that it's actually, I think, may, it may have actually contributed to, to more hesitancy. And I think that we need to take a nonpartisan approach to, well, we shouldn't be dividing Canadians on this issue. We should be encouraging everybody to get vaccinated. There are people who are accessible who might need some more education or might need access. I talked to somebody who very, like just yesterday, who was like, I really, I hate how this debate is going. I, I haven't been able to go get vaccinated because I can't afford to take time off but, but of work. But the reality is there so, are mandatory vaccine passports in, in provinces like Quebec, Ontario's got one, BC's got one. Like this is a real urgent issue in the middle of a fourth wave. And I, I, I you know, time, I just, time is, not, is not on anyone's side on this, as you know. But yet the Liberals decided to call an election in the middle of this. So here we are. We've, okay. You know, it's, it's, it's four weeks we've been in an election when we could have been meeting in the Health Committee to talk about why Canadians are hesitant and how the federal government can pro partner with provinces, right? Um, I don't know. I, I, I just really think that this is something that needs to transcend partisan politics and uh, that we need to be bringing Canadians in a united way. And I don't know. I, it's something that Parliament is definitely going to have to deal with when it resumes, whatever it looks like. Mm. Um, but I, again, I, this is so serious, right. and I encourage people to get vaccinated.
right, I got to leave it there. I really appreciate you joining us. I know how busy you Thanks. are on the campaign trail. I really got to get back on the door. I Seven. know you do. Uh, Michelle Rumpel Garner, thank you so much. Thanks. Have a great day. Coming up, overhyped or underplayed, what issues are getting the most play and what issues have been left out? The Scrum is here with our special guest, Pam Palmiter. Stay right here with Question Period. Every election has a defining issue or two, an issue that can move voters from one federal party to another. In 2019, urban voters said no to Conservative leader Andrew Scheer when he would not clarify his position on abortion. The Syrian refugee crisis became one of the defining issues that moved the polls back in 2015, and that helped Justin Trudeau achieve a sweeping majority. But what are the issues in this election? It's hard to figure out. Is it calling the election in the midst of a pandemic? Is it the situation in Afghanistan? Is it the fourth wave or health care transfers, child care, gun control, and economic recovery? Hard to figure out. So some issues have been overhyped, but other issues are underplayed. Which ones are they? Let's find out. The Scrum is here to determine that. Tana McCharles, a parliamentary reporter with the Toronto Star, joins us. Marika Walsh, political Hi. reporter with the Globe and Mail. And our special guest for this round is the Chair of Indigenous Governance at Ryerson University, Pam Palmiter. All right, great to have the three of you here with eight days left. Uh, let's start with you, Tonda. Uh, what, in your view, most overhyped issue of this campaign and maybe the most underplayed issue so far? Look, you, you outlined a whole bunch of issues. For my money, the overhyped issue uh, might be the whole idea of an early election call. Look, two years ago, everybody was saying this is a minority government that might last two years. And I agree that, you know, there were lots of questions to be asked about it and valid, legitimate questions. But I think that as it, what it actually has turned out to be is that that question has posed the, the whole campaign as a referendum on Mr. Trudeau. But I think that now that there's a choice in front of voter, voters, I think the, the underplayed issues are some of the really big issues of our time, and they've been issues now for three decades. And that, that is childcare, that is climate change. And I would have loved to have seen a lot more deep dives into what the parties are proposing, because for the first time, in Canada, and let's, this is amazing to me, we have all parties agreeing there should be a price on carbon. Well, so what does that mean and how is it going to work? So I think, honestly, I think climate change, childcare, those are two big issues that needed a lot more attention from the media, a lot more attention from the leaders, and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, voters will take those deep dives in the next 10 days. Yeah, and consequential differences on things like climate policies and yeah. those things. Uh, Marika, overhyped, underplayed in this campaign, what do you think? I think what's overhyped is criticizing debates. I think uh, some of the moderators <laughs> on Thursday got an unfair trashing in the media and on social media on Thursday night and Friday. I think underplayed, what surprises me in the underplayed category is the fact that we have not had this in-depth discussion on climate change, as Tonda mentioned. Unfortunately, what's not surprising to me, but what is still underplayed, are issues around systemic racism, what parties would actually do to address some of these major concerns as well as reconciliation and indigenous uh, indigenous affairs. Yeah, I mean, I remember it was about, you know, a year and a bit ago we talked about the wet sweating and the pipeline mm -hmm. issue that dominated, disappeared in the campaign. Pam, overhyped, underplayed. I think overhyped is 
water on First Nations. And when I say that, I don't mean to say that that's not important, but it's a critical part of the bigger picture, which is genocide. We had a national inquiry into murder to missing Indigenous women and girls that found Canada guilty of historic and ongoing genocide, which includes water, which includes violence against Indigenous women, the crisis of First Nation kids in foster care, over-incarceration, all of these issues. And you don't see this focus on or taking responsibility for genocide, which is also linked very much to systemic racism, including in healthcare. Think of Joyce Echaquan, um, you know, in, in Quebec. And also think about the RCMP. I mean, for months, people were marching and protesting and rallying in the streets and talking about racism in the media, especially the RCMP, the targeted killing and brutalization and over-incarceration of Indigenous peoples. And I haven't seen anything talked about. Yeah, uh, that, that you're absolutely right. And these just didn't get the play that people thought. Tonda, let me move to another thing about overhyped or underplayed. Let's talk, call it platforms versus personality. Are platforms and the release of them and the costing, are they overhyped or the underplayed? Or is the election more about personalities, which sometimes becomes the big issue? No, I don't think platforms are overhyped. In fact, I think that they've become a staple of the modern political campaign and a way to hold politicians and their parties to account. Uh, so no, I don't think they're overhyped. Um, and I think uh, it's, a, it's a useful tool for voters who aren't hearing a lot of the substantive policy debate on the campaign trail or in the debates. And I agree with what Marika said about those debates. But um, there is no doubt that all these campaigns are leader focused and therefore voters are looking at the parties through the lens of the credibility of their leaders. It does become a bit about personality. It, be, it does become a bit about what comes across on a, on a debate stage. Um, and that's a really difficult thing in terms of the broader campaign trail in a pandemic election because we aren't seeing the same kinds of rallies, political rallies, uh, that kind of uh, staple of the campaign trail that we, we have seen in the past and that voters do kind of gauge. They gauge, you know, the enthusiasm of, uh, of rallies. They gauge the performance, the energy, the commitment uh, and the sincerity of, of the leaders through those, through those events. And we don't have that this time around. But there's no question the two are tied and uh, all these parties are as leader centric as they've ever been. Okay, what about wild cards, Marika? You know, can candidates that get pulled because they've done something, you know, a candidate that has views that, they, that cost them their job. Uh, Jody Wilson-Raybould, the former Liberal Justice Minister, has got a book that's going to be published on Tuesday. An excerpt was in The Globe that Mr. Trudeau, uh, you know, alleging Mr. Trudeau had lied. He's already denied it. Do these sort of last, I don't mean to dismiss these things, but are these kind of wild card moments in the last eight days overhyped or underplayed? I think they have the potential to be a destabilizer for the liberal leader, for the conservative leader, whoever is having to handle questions on a candidate or questions on past controversies and scandals. But, you know, I do think a lot of the decision has been baked in. In terms of Jody Wilson-Raybould, this was litigated before the last election in 2019 when Justin Trudeau ended up with a minority. But I don't think that we can entirely dismiss it because if it does continue to dominate discussion and, and the liberal leader had many questions on it in his press conference on Saturday, then it could still be a reminder for people why they actually gave him a minority last time. And so that's really where the right. issue is. It might not sort of change the narrative of the issues that we're talking about or the policy decisions of each party, but it could still be a few rough days for whichever leader is facing those questions. The one thing that, and Pam, I'll leave it with you on this one. Mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, with pandemic recovery, historic levels of deficit, I, I get a lot of questions from people. How come you're not discussing competitiveness, the economy? Like in the midst of this, there's a lot of talk about pandemic recovery and what governments can do. There hasn't been a lot of talk about, detailed talk about creating jobs and economic recovery and competitiveness. Has that been an underplayed item in this pandemic, Pam, or this election? Uh I think very much so, and the how. I mean, it's easy to say, I'll create one million jobs. Well, I can say that too, but it's the how. How are you going to do that? How is that connected to uh, your climate change plan? How is that connected to the pandemic recovery or the social supports or whether or not there's going to be childcare support? Like all of these things are very much linked. And I think Canadians should be able to hear from the candidates how they're going to do all of these things. What does the timeline look like otherwise it's just without a context it's like saying we're going to support child care but you don't actually say how or admit that it's going to be far less than what the liberals are introducing and then how that impacts first nations well, how are the first nations involved in all of this and what it means to have first nations as decision makers in the economy in climate change in international relations and how all that relates together all right uh, i love that overhyped underplayed um, that's great. We could do that more. We have one more Sunday left. Uh, Pam Palmer, great to have you on the program. I know Marika and Tonda are going to stick around. So thanks, Pam. Thanks so much. All right, still to come. Is there a last-minute shift in the polls? What could impact the race at the very end? The Scrum returns with pollster Nick Nanos to dig into that and lots more. Stay right here with Question Period. days to go. It's still a toss-up race between the Liberals and the Conservatives, with many voters still undecided. We can now, though, measure the impact of the leaders' debates and see if the pundits you like got it right or wrong. So here's where the polls stand right now. According to today's Nanos Research poll, the Liberals are now in the lead, 34%. The Conservatives sit at 30.7%. The NDP, 18.6%. The Bloc, 6.6%. And here's the key. The People's Party and the Green Party are at 5.1% and 4.1% respectively. Now, that poll was taken over three nights ending September 11th, surveying 1,200 people. Margin of error, 2.8 percentage points, 19 times out of 20. So what's happening under the surface in parts of the country? And will there be one ballot box question to actually crystallize this race? Let's bring back the scrum. Tonda McCharles, parliamentary reporter with The Star, is back. Marika Walsh, political reporter with The Globe, is back. And our special guest for this round is a young pollster named Nick Nano, CTV pollster and president of Nano's Research. Getting younger by the campaign day, Nick. Ah, uh, okay, we just <laughs> checked out the, uh, the numbers. What happened in these debates? Everyone wants to know who won the debate, who lost. What's the impact the debate had on the campaign? Well, just straight up looking at the numbers, Evan, it's clear that there was a little bit of a bump for the Liberals. They have a marginal advantage over the Conservatives. The other thing that's interesting is that one of the new trends that's starting to emerge is that the New Democrats are starting to slide a little bit. Suggests that perhaps for some New Democrats that were watching the debate, like Jagmeet Singh, saw a good performance from Aaron O'Toole and thought, oh boy, this person could become prime minister, and perhaps they're starting to drift to Justin Trudeau. Yeah, Tonda, let, let's look at these patterns. What Nick is describing is what the Liberal playbook has on Chapter 1, the strategic vote, take votes from the NDP. What do you make of the dynamic and how it's shifting, and if any sort of ballot box issue is emerging? I'm not sure yet that the ballot box issue is emerging, but what I think the debates have done 
And you know, the numbers are reflecting this. Is I think it is starting to crystallize in people's minds that, like it or not, early election call or not, they do have to make a choice. And so I think Canadians are starting to really size up now what that choice has to be. And Erin O'Toole, I mean, while I, I do think that it's difficult to say who's a winner, who's a loser in those debates. Aaron O'Toole stood a ground there and I think um, caused many voters to consider, okay, is he the prime minister they want? Uh, and then looking at the other um, options on the progressive side, like what do those options mean? So that's what I think is coming down. And you know, in the week ahead, this is, the, this is what it's all about for those, those parties is to consolidate the deal now on, on, on moving up in the voter preference. Um, for the Liberals, they've got to be encouraged by those numbers, but um, you know, the Conservatives, that's a, still a pretty strong base. We'll see, like mm. honestly, the next eight days or so are going to really be a toss-up for all of these guys. Yeah, and advanced uh, voting's already started, Marika. But it's kind of interesting mm -hmm. because Aaron O'Toole's whole you know, strategic play here was to move the Conservatives back to the center, uh, you know, frankly, away from Stephen Harper and towards Brian Mulroney, his true blue leadership campaign is kind of a lighter blue run. Uh, what, what issues have shaped the campaign as now there seems to be a fight for the center? It certainly does seem to be a fight for the center. I think when we're looking to the last week, we saw Mr. O'Toole do a pivot after the debates on Friday where he was talking about trust, talking about building. He was talking about his own government and talking about what a government would look like under the Conservatives and trying to build that trust with voters. I think really the next week is going to be about the ballot box question. And right now, it's the question is, what is the ballot box question? The Liberals want it to be about what do you want your government to do? And the Conservatives want it to be a referendum on Justin Trudeau, mm. i.e., who do you want your government to be? And I think depending on how that tension goes in the next week will really help to determine who wins government. Yeah, exactly. Uh, perfectly said there, Marika. Nick, Nick, underneath that tension, I think that dynamic is absolutely right. Um, talk about, we talked a bit about the strategic vote play by the Liberals trying to, you know, get that NDP vote. What about the Conservatives? One of the things that we all noted in your poll is the, the People's Party of Canada numbers. Um, could they play spoiler? They're, those numbers are up. Does that have a spoiler effect? And does the block number have a spoiler effect for maybe Liberal fortunes in Quebec? Yeah, the big question is, is for those individuals that today say that they want to support the People's Party of Canada, will they follow through on that and potentially uh, help Justin Trudeau by splitting the Conservative vote? Or will they hold their nose and vote for Aaron O'Toole because they want to get Justin Trudeau out of the government. And for the bloc, the bloc is another wild card, especially, you know, looking at some of the races in the province of Quebec because Quebec still sizes up to be a race between the Liberals and the bloc Québécois. The Conservatives, not as much of a factor in that province. Okay, so, so battlegrounds now. Um, man, last week of campaign, Tonda, it's, you know, you got to just pick your battles, right? Toronto and the GTA area in Ontario, Lower Mainland in BC, Battleground, Quebec. Exactly. What are you watching for now and as where basically this race could be decided? Look, I think that Quebec is really volatile. We have yet to see how um, sort of the weighing in of Legault, Premier Legault, to support a conservative minority almost three times, two times last week, uh, how that'll play out. And then, you know, the, the perceived uh, slight that Monsieur Blanchet capitalized on. Um, so I think that Quebec is a big factor right now. The Liberals needed to pick up seats in Quebec, but I think that a lot of the play is in Ontario 
in the 905, the Greater Toronto Area, and the Greater Vancouver Area, where I think actually Mr. O'Toole's sort of attempt to cast himself now as a progressive conservative um, is up for question and up for debate, right? And we've seen, he, he was trying to make that case last week at the end of the last week. Mr. Trudeau is pushing back against that case. But it very much depends on how the voters in those big regions, those big urban regions that are vote rich, uh, will see that and through what lens? Do they start looking at issues by issues or is it more a question of credibility? Yeah, Marika, I just want to know what you're looking for. I know Jagmeet Singh finally costed his platform. It's kind of late yesterday afternoon, $214 billion of new spending. Uh, he's hoping to build big in, in not only in BC, but of course in parts of Ontario to build back there. Mm -hmm. Does that platform even make a dent in it, you know, when he's costing it with a number that has tripled the spending of the other two? Uh, does that help him or hurt him, or, or what are you looking for from his point of view? It's triple the spending, but it also includes big raises in taxes and, and other revenues, right, to offset some of that spending. I think, though, people are not going into this election thinking that Jagmeet Singh is going to be the prime minister. They're going into this election wondering how much of a power role they want him to play in parliament. And so I'm not sure the costing of that platform matters as much as it would with the liberals or the conservatives. In terms of the regions to look at, though, I think what's very interesting is that the liberals have gone from before the election talking about where they would pick up, you know, the more than 10 seats they need to win a majority to hanging on. And the question is, how do they perform in Atlantic Canada, where they swept in 2015, which helped to deliver their majority? It's not looking as strong this time. And of course, the Lower Mainland and the GTA, the Greater Toronto Area, the suburbs, we saw them fighting a lot in Hamilton in the last few weeks. And those are really going to be what determines it. I think that the Liberals feel that they have a team that can handle the issues in Quebec. And the question is whether they can deliver or whether the Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, the Liberal leader, can hang on to yeah. those seats he needs to in the Lower Mainland and the GTA. Boy, you, you, by, you know where they need to hold on is where they're going in these last few days. Okay, Nick, last thing, last year, what are you looking for? What could, you know, we've seen what's called late-breaking elections before. The last week changes everything. What, what do you have your eye on? I have my eye on who is this last week about? Is it about Aaron O'Toole as a potential Prime Minister and a focus on him? Or is it about Justin Trudeau and the Jody Wilson-Raybould book that's coming out? The thing is, is that whoever this last week is about, how about this for a prediction? Whoever this last week is about is going to lose. <laughs> All right. Have you ever seen a name more name-checked, like in the debates, or that Jody Wilson-Raybould has come back? She's, as people are saying, she's living rent-free inside this campaign. All right, uh, Nick, Tonda, and Marika, uh, great to have the three of you on the program. I know there's a big week ahead, and we look forward to seeing your work. That is Question Period for this week, and everybody. In this last uh, eight days, we have a very close watch on a tight election, so stay safe, hug your loved ones, get out there and vote. And I'll see you back on CTV News Channel's Power Play tomorrow, 5 p.m. Eastern. And we'll be back here in seven short days, the morning before the big vote. Thanks for watching.